0: Hello and welcome to a guest special for the Sports In podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Welsh professional athlete Lauren Williams. Lauren, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Very good. I can see uh, you're in your new flat in Cardiff. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, recently moved in. Nice little uh, new place down the bay. It's a lovely sunny evening. It's all oh, good. I love
0: it. I love Cardiff, me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess a good place to start would be to give the listeners a brief description of your specific event in athletics and who you have represented so far in your career.
1: Um, So yeah I do athletics, my main events are the 400 meter hurdles and sometimes get made to run the 400 meter flat as well. Um, So probably like my biggest success today is being the Welsh junior record holder um, I broke that record out in the Berlin Olympic Stadium, running for Great Britain Juniors. So, yeah, that's me.
0: <laughs> not bad at all, that Lauren. Not bad at all. Um, so let's go back uh, to when you started. So at a young age, I'm guessing you were a part of Malden Harriers. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, big at Malden Harriers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you, um,
1: oh, sorry, you were
0: training yeah. on the you were training on the track in Newtown. Um, was it then where you fell in love with athletics?
1: Yeah, I, I'd say so. I mean, like, like most people um, who sort of follow like a career in sport, like I was a really sporty kid and I did love doing everything. I gave everything a go. I even tried like football, hockey, team sports, but I was always kind of told that I wasn't skillful enough, but could just run and run and run. Um, so my PE teacher from uh, Lani High School, she sent me down to the track one evening when I was in about year eight. So what was I then, 13 or 14? Um, and back then I was like coming from a cross country background did like a lot of long distance running that kind of thing. And so I like naturally joined the middle distance group. And they had us running laps and it was a really cold wet evening and I can just remember leaving and t- telling my mum like never make me do that again. <laughs> like I hated it. <laughs> so she said I'll just stick with it give it another go and I went down the following week and one of the coaches there Dave Peters he was doing a herzzle session so I thought I'd just like jump in have a little go and yeah I just ran and jumped and didn't really look back since it was just like great fun to me I was quite fearless so kind of found my event there and yeah the club really kind of nurtured my progression I would say.
0: So would you say Mildon is definitely a, um, somewhere where young athletes uh, like yourself then could succeed?
1: Yeah absolutely I I feel like we're so lucky to have that facility there albeit like you know it's an outdoor weather track it's not something fancy like we'd have down here you know or in a city but I really do think that sort of the whole ethos of the club and how much the coaches put into the kids there like it's a stepping stone for me for sure and I'm sure it is for A lot of other kids are really lucky because obviously we're so rural being back in Mid Wales. Having a track is actually such a luxury. So, yeah, I I would really say that it's had an effect on my career. And like, yeah, definitely is a place where youngsters can kind of follow their passion for the sport.
0: That's fantastic to hear. And you say um, that we're lucky. Well, you're lucky in that area that there was a track. Um, Mm -hmm. Would you say compared to North and South Wales, is Mid Wales a place where... There could be young athletes, um, maybe just as good as you at that young age that were maybe held back due to a lack of sporting facilities in Mid Wales?
1: Oh my goodness, yeah, undoubtedly. Like I, I say it now and I'll say it again, like a bit controversially, but I think anywhere above sort of Brecon doesn't get looked at. You know, Mid Wales, we are forgotten about a lot of the time with selections, with you know, not just in my sport, you know, if you're say you're in rugby, then you know you might have to join RGC if you want to progress with, with rugby. And that means traveling up to somewhere like Colwyn Bay or you know if you know other sports you might have to travel all the way down say to Cardiff or Swansea and I know for myself if I didn't have parents who are willing to drive me to competitions and then as I progressed drive me to you know my I moved on to a new coach in Swansea and if I didn't have parents who were able or willing to do that then I would have had so many missed opportunities so yeah I undoubtedly think there's probably kids in mid Wales with a, you know, a talent or a passion for certain sports that are just falling beneath the radar because of where we live. And because of those, you know, sort of the stresses that that additional travel puts on parents and kids, like it's not just easy to rock up and, you know, you know, there's no competitions in mid Wales for athletics and there isn't a high level for a lot of sports. So you can't just rock up and give it a go. You have to have parents who are willing, um, which is a massive barrier.
0: So do you think you could be a, a sort of in, inspiration for uh young talent in athletics for mid wales you know do you ever go back and maybe do some promotion there or
1: um look I wouldn't say like I'm an inspiration I'm still like a developing athlete myself but I always say it's so important to give back to the sport and that's why like I'll come on podcasts and do this kind of thing because if anyone listening can take any small nugget of advice or anything that they might find helpful then that's a win for me um so like I do do school visits I work for a company called Athletes in Schools um they just post me out to anywhere across the UK at the minute it's all done virtually because of Zoom but I'll do workshops and like assemblies and stuff and like take PE lessons but I haven't done anything local for a little while just because I haven't been living locally but whenever sort of Paris County Council asks for something then of course I'll do a little video um and then over um sort of this time this period last year when we went into lockdown I don't know if you saw but I did a massive kit giveaway um obviously I recently got signed um super lucky to be signed by Adidas so I had a load of kit that I actually couldn't wear anymore and it was all like relatively like new stuff or like fairly good quality and I remember when I was growing up like you know you'll probably be the same you'd go through so many t-shirts and trainers because you'd just be growing 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 you'd be growing out of stuff within six months and it's really expensive to buy this stuff you know a Nike top can be about 40 pounds so I had all this stuff and I thought if I can't wear it I want the, like the kids to be able to make use of it so um I just advertised it through Maldwin Harry's Facebook page and then um a few of the schools like Shamba and Newtown and Lanny and I posted out I think it was about 63 packages in the end just of like different bits of kit I was like inundated with messages so I do try where I can to kind of give back to the sport I'd like to do a bit more in the local area but I'd never call myself an inspiration I just like to help out really you know
0: a very humble answer, I'd say there, Lauren. Um, <laughs> but you, you mentioned Adidas there. So is that a case where, because I suppose I'm a bit naive to this, do they approach you in in sort of like what they want you to do, promotion, et cetera?
1: Yeah, um, it's kind of – it's all contract-dependent, but um, – I signed with um, an agency, Forte Sports Management, two years ago now after that race in Berlin. Um, basically, they've instigated the whole thing with Adidas. Um, so they build the relationship and say, look, we've got this athlete, Lauren, this is what she's achieved, this is your aim. So like aiming for Commonwealth or European under-23s. And then they, then you know, get to watch a few of your races, that kind of thing. And if they think that, you know, you're an athlete that fits their brand or an athlete they want to support, they might make an offer um so at the minute I'm kit contracted only so that means that like I'll get race bonuses and that but it's not a salaried contract it's just that they give me kit um and there's different reasons for that at the minute I've probably not achieved as much as I could in the sport. So if I signed a contract now it might mean that I'd sign say a 10k a year contract but run really well this season and then be worth more than that so that's the reason why it's just kit and then um yeah that obviously I mentioned to you before like doing stuff with say Sports Direct if I was contracted like in a salary form with Adidas I wouldn't be able to shoot wearing other brands so you couldn't wear Nike or Puma and that kind of stuff so then you're unlikely to get asked to do shoots if you can only wear one brand if that makes sense so then yeah. that sort of- cuts your earning potential as well so that's kind of how that one's dealt with but obviously it depends on your level depends what your contract is all that kind of stuff but most of the time it comes through a race agent like they don't just approach you you know you don't just get that message on instagram like hey lauren to <laughs> um yeah that's kind of how that one's worked. but yeah
0: so sports direct um do you, do you have to do some like videos advertisement what's what's the crack there
1: yeah, to, to be honest, I was a bit mad. I didn't really know where that came from. I just, um, my my agent Dale, he just sent me a WhatsApp. He was like, uh, fancy going to Liverpool two days next week to do the Sports Direct like spring summer campaign. And I was like, um, what? Okay. <laughs> so I went up there two or three weeks ago now. And um, yeah, I, I did, it was kind of like a mixture of video and video footage and photos. It was really cool. They actually had, um this guy he was from like the football um department of sports direct and he um was kind of like on rollerblades filming us alongside as we ran but obviously for like football stuff like a lot of it's in motion they have to like rollerblade alongside to keep up with footballers or like use drones and all of this kind of stuff so it was a really cool day but that should actually launch the end of this week. So hopefully, if you go to a sports direct in Telford Pat, you might see me there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, we have got one actually uh, on the Riki Retail Park.
1: Oh, so, fantastic! Let's uh, yeah. see you, little selfie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. I absolutely love that, Lauren. Um, now, you mentioned before about Berlin. Mm. So I want to talk to you about this, and uh, you were a junior athlete representing Great Britain at the time, weren't you? And for me, you were competing in one of the most picturesque uh, athletic stadiums in Europe. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic.
0: Um, And you only went on to break a Welsh record in 400 metre hurdles with an impressive time of 5809. Am I correct? You've done your research well. (laughs) (laughs) So just describe to me the lead up to the day, the day itself, and then the moment you realise you got the Welsh record.
1: Yeah, um, the, the build up was actually like, it's kind of like a bit of a, I don't know, it's quite a pivotal, like moment for me in the sense that that summer was actually um, going to be the World Junior Championships. So that's kind of what I've been training for for like a year to 18 months prior. Coming into that summer, that was kind of the goal to make the GB Junior team that would fly out to the World Championships. Um, anyway sort of it got to July and despite being ranked number one in the UK and I actually was ranked tenth in the world the I had a phone call from the selectors the day of the meeting saying that it'd been argued but basically they didn't think that I was going to be a realistic finalist and definitely not a medal potentialist so to hear that I was kind of like right like am I being delusional like committing so much time to athletics like this was my big goal of basically being told that they don't think I'm good enough um and I'd done all I could that was in my control to like get a seat on that plane um so yeah after that obviously massive motivation hit I tried to go to training my attitude was just really poor my coach told me to go home until I could come back in a better headspace so I sort, (laughs) sort of took like two weeks off um and then came back to it I was like do you know what no like not everything's lost. Like I'm still running really well. My time's are still dropping. So I continued to race and see the season out and it got to August and I'd run like some really quick times. And so this opportunity arose and British athletics rang me that basically prior to the European senior champs that were to be held in that stadium in Berlin, they were running like an international match for junior teams. So France, Germany and GB would go head to head in like a sort of a warm up meet. Um, and they said, you know, like, you've been running quick, like, we'd like to select you and take you. So anyway, it was kind of like the end of the season for me. It was the last race. So I flew out there with kind of no pressure. Like, I'd missed, you know, World Juniors for me. It was just to go there and have fun was the aim. So when there. obviously, the stadium was, like, it was mad. It was so, so nice. Um, the weather, it was like 33 degrees, sunny, oh, like perfect conditions. I was in a GB vest and like there was no pressure. Like everything was just geared up for that perfect run. And I kind of just stood on the line and thought like I've got nothing to lose here and just really went for it. Like I wasn't nervous at all, which is so unlike me. And um, yeah, like I just I just ran the race. And I, like I can't remember too much of it. Like I was obviously that much adrenaline. But I remember crossing the line. I looked at the clock and saw 5809. And I was just like, like, I couldn't believe it I, I dropped to the floor there's a photo of me somewhere where I just dropped to the floor and just started crying because it was almost the relief of like proving to myself and the selectors I should have gone to Wills and then also to run a whole like second PB and get that Welsh record that was just like huge like it was like nothing else I'd experienced before like I don't know like people say like you often experience like a runner's high after going for a run but like that was like next level.
0: <laughs> oh, amazing and it, it, I find that Fascinating the the bit the lead up because I feel like um all these sort of sports stars, if you will, they'll have like a pivotal moment in their career, won't they, where they'll look back on and think that was maybe the case that turned me sort of going forward or back. Maybe Mm. that maybe when you had that phone call to say you weren't good enough or they weren't expecting the medal. Do you reckon mentally that was like a pivotal moment? I know you said you took two weeks off and you were very uh, angry at that, but do you reckon mentally that sort of gave you the edge or really or even like you say it it sort of actually went the other way you had no nerves and you absolutely ran a blinder so like, talk me through the mental sort of aspect of that phone call
1: yeah I think for me like I'm definitely someone that is motivated by like proving people wrong like if someone tries to put a limit on me or like tell me no I like to then go and prove them wrong so I think it was like a motivator as much as obviously to begin with I was kind of gutted and like no one likes to be told like basically that you failed so for those two weeks I you know I gave myself the time to be sad be frustrated be angry and then I came back and was like with a fresh outlook and was like actually no like I need to prove to myself and these selectors that I was worthy of a spot so yeah I think it it definitely was like you say a pivotal moment and then obviously yeah just completely took the pressure off in the sense that i done all I could and I'd missed the boat. I was still running well. And I just thought, you know, like if you don't kind of step back and appreciate what you've achieved, you're never going to, you know, sort of find enjoyment. And I was like, look, I'm running in a GB vest. This is huge. Like, let's just enjoy it. And that kind of like mindset switch, I think, is how I ran so quick. Um, So I think a lot of the time sports people kind of get caught up in like, you know, like I've achieved this and now the next thing and the next thing and like looking ahead and ahead. But sometimes you just need to appreciate where you're at and I really did that for that race I was like I'm in a GB vest this is like so cool let's just have fun
0: so yeah I suppose that that shows a lot of maturity as well at at your age that you're thinking like that you know because like you said a lot of young sports stars I suppose would be I don't know as an example I can think of a a footballer who would get a professional contract to say the Premier League think that that's it think that they've done it and then doesn't kick on you know mm -hmm. and the fact that you sort of will now maybe because I wanted to talk to you about this, and obviously you're a you're a 400 meter and 400 meter hurdle double champion. Is that correct? Yeah. So, do you think now that you want to kick on and get a third in a row? Like, what's your mentality now for like you know? Are you a case of right? I'm double champion. Doesn't matter. Or are you thinking I want that third title in a row?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, we will just like for context, double Welsh champion. So it's obviously not like it's a bit different to being like like great british champion over the yeah, two events yeah. for Me, like i always love to race at welsh champs because i am welsh and very like patriotic and proud to be welsh and i think it's fantastic that i can go race on my like well now local track in cardiff so of course i want to go there and defend my title over the hurdles and the flat i think the flat for me is more the challenge because it's not my specialist event but of course i want to like defend my title over those events again this summer covid you know dependent but yeah. i think for me the aim is like you say to kick on and like Bigger horizons, like I want to make that final at British Champs again. Um, I placed fifth there this year. Um, if I made it into the top three and ran the qualifying time, then that'd be a spot on the plane to Tokyo. Um, that's obviously setting my like ambitions really high, but I'd like to just do at least two up from last year and like move that fifth into like the medals. So I think for me, the aim is to probably yeah, get in amongst the medals at the British Champs. Cause as much as I'm a Welsh defending champion, like, you know, like you're not competing just against people in Wales. now. like to actually be successful. You need to look kind of a bit broader, broader your horizons or whatever they say. <laughs> so
0: you, you mentioned short-term aspirations is Tokyo. What's your mm. long-term aspirations?
1: Um, I think for me, as long as I'm still enjoying the sport and being relatively successful, whether that's in the form of like continuing to make GB teams or getting support from like brands like Adidas, then I'm, I'm going to stick with it. Um, but yeah, I think you never know with sport. I think obviously Tokyo would be like, I say it's a short-term aspiration, but if that doesn't happen, and it well may not with COVID anyway, um, then Paris 24, you know, like I think it's every sort of track athlete's dream to run at an Olympics, call themselves an Olympian. So yeah, probably probably still the goal remains the same to make it to an
0: Olympic team and yeah. Oh, fantastic. And I just want to go back slightly to the mentality. So I wanted to ask, does a winning mentality Come from yourself, or is it instilled uh, to you by your coach slash coaches? And especially during the Malden Harry, as you mentioned, you had some fantastic coaches. Was it instilled then, do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think like being from Mid Wales, like you'll know as well, Pat. Like sometimes I feel like kids can have quite low aspirations, like they might not want to like move away or like necessarily challenge themselves that much. Because, like, you know, we are living in an area where opportunities are like few and far between because of how rural it is yeah um I think that probably for me this like as you call it the winning mentality was kind of instilled in me like largely from like the coaches down at Maldwin and then also my parents like my parents are farmers you know don't get me wrong they don't have like high-flying careers or whatever but they've always told me like work hard and you will achieve and that's something that's really helped me and I think like you can be as talented as you like but you won't have that sort of winning mentality unless you work hard with it and are determined with it and the coaches at Malden Harry's were great kind of getting that through to the kids as well you know you'd go down and like yeah be a social with your mates but like at the same time they'd be like come on now like you know stop chattering get on and do it and like they'd always tell me like you know Lauren like if you actually like you know try with this you you've got a talent you could go somewhere and I remember being told like by one of them like you're good at this and it kind of really like stuck with me like being told I was good really helped my ambition levels and yeah it gave me kind of that winning mentality I guess so I'd say both my parents and Maldwin like played a big part in nurturing that mentality
0: oh that's fantastic and yeah that psychological boost isn't it someone telling you I mean we all have a little bit of self-motivation but to have that sort of peer motivation or someone telling you you know come on you can do this and you're really good at this it it does give you a lift doesn't it
1: Mm, you know, yeah, but, um, yeah, massively. I think we all like to be told we're good at something now and then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish I got told that.
1: Yeah. Hey, you good at podcasts. How about that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um now I want to talk to you uh about a different topic. And obviously I have touched base with you before this just to check that you were happy to talk about it. And I think it is something we need to talk about, especially if there are listeners, uh young listeners who who are inspired by yourself or inspired by athletics. And so recently you have experienced some verbal abuse whilst training on public paths, as I saw you and many other young athletes on the BBC News. Um, How does this impact young athletes and, and why do you think this happens?
1: Um, the why is a difficult one for me. I'd I'd love to know why people think it's okay to act in that way. But for me, Pat, like, you know, you say, oh, I've seen that you've, you know, recently like been experiencing some abuse. Like it's not a recent thing for so many people. I think for me, I've just been naive in that I've always had facilities to train at gyms and tracks where, you know, it's safe, it's sheltered, like it's an environment where I'm just training with my coach and my training partner. So I'm not exposed to it. Then when lockdown came and i was having to run in the public parks or on the footpaths like i really started to notice like like the extent to how like it'd be every time i went out that i'd get a comment or a cat call or a wolf whistle or told to wear something looser or that like this that or the other was wobbling or like just really unnecessary comments that makes you feel like quite vulnerable and obviously it's such a topical thing at the moment with obviously the tragic death of sarah everard i think it's really highlighting the issue Now more than ever, that women aren't necessarily safe when they exercise or or even out walking in public spaces. Um, and for me, I've had to do things to sort of negate sort of being at risk. So I would never go out in the evening by myself. If I go out for a run in the evening, I always take my flatmate Ben with me. And if you know, that's not possible. I'll have to go in the morning, um, which is difficult and it's disruptive. Like if you're a young athlete and you go to school, for example, you're in school during the sunlight hours when it's, you know, winter, you're in school from nine until three thirty. you might not be getting home until it's dark. And so then you don't actually have the option of going out and exercising. If you can't get to a track, if your only option is to go and use your local park, you know, and you're a 14 year old girl, absolutely no way in hell is your parents letting you go down there and you know, so it, it has a huge impact. And yeah, I, I d- don't know why, like you said, you asked me why, I think probably a lot of it has just been, it's become commonplace and people think it's okay to maybe act in that way. But I think for me, the more awareness we can raise about it, the more we talk about it, hopefully we will see change actioned, And actually, you know, the more we call people out on this behavior, the better and more improvements we'll see. I think for me, what I always like to sort of explain as is this, you know these men or whether it's like you know whatever young young boys old men whatever whoever's honking that horn or wolf whistling or cat calling or making these comments i just think stop and think would you say that to your mum or would you say that to your auntie or your gran or your sister and kind of make them really like check themselves on it because i can guarantee they probably wouldn't be speaking to their you know their mum in the way that they'd cat call on the street street so it's just really about respect and sort of yeah treating treating women and others with the respect they deserve you know I'd never drive past and toot my horn at a guy running on the street so why does it happen the other way around um so yeah that's ultimately just I'm hoping that by speaking out about it maybe someone somewhere will kind of check themselves on it and change the way they're being
0: (laughs) I really appreciate that uh really appreciate that answer Lauren um yeah it's like you say it's it's talking about things isn't it that's the key it's, it's everything mm-hmm. in life. We've, if talking does help and time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that this needs to be addressed and this needs to be addressed quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Not just our opinion and probably most opinions as well. So thank you for that, Roran. Um, I want to take you back to Berlin now because <laughs> I've got something that you might not know. You might know, you might not know.
1: Okay.
0: So did you know you share a special connection with a certain Usain Bolt?
1: I do, in fact, know this. But carry on, Pat. No, you you do the honors.
0: (laughs) So you have both broken records in the same stadium.
1: There we go. I'm basically Usain Bolt. You heard it here first.
0: (laughs) So for those who don't know, Usain in 2009 when he broke the 100 meter and 200 meter records, and then you obviously in the 400 meter hurdles, which we which we touched upon um, before. So I just wanted to uh, to ask what do you think of that? That's that's oh, quite you... special, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, like I was under no illusion when I went there. I kind of obviously everyone's seen Usain Bolt's world records. I'd, I'd watched them happen on TV and then walking into the stadium because we got to do like a little sort of shake out or like essentially like a bit of a jog and like stretch after being on the plane in the stadium the night before. And I walked in and i would only ever seen it on the TV. And I was like, this is so cool. And then when we went down onto the track, I walked in the lane that he actually ran the world record. No way. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. But um, yeah, I can see why he ran. A world record there. The track is quick, like obviously, because the stadium is so huge, there's absolutely zero wind So you just get the perfect conditions for running. Um, so yeah, quick track, great vibes, would happily go again.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. When I, when I was researching, I thought that's class. That is that's really good. In fact, Chris, um, when I was doing an episode, Chris mentioned it and he said, Oh, you gotta uh, you gotta put that in the interview with and I was like, Yeah, Defo, that's uh, that's fantastic. That is <laughs> Okay, well, uh, well, thank you, Lauren, for giving us your time to talk about your success as a British Welsh athlete. As you know, uh, you love being Welsh um, (laughs) and other things, athletics. And uh, we really appreciate we really appreciate having you on and uh, and all the best in the future. I'm hoping to see you in in Paris in 24 then. Is that the aim?
1: Yeah, hopefully you'll see me on the track there. But no, thank you, Pat, for having me on. Like, I think the Sports in Podcast is a great thing. And the more we can talk about sport in Mid Wales and get it on the map, the better. So, yeah, good on you.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, Lauren.